Makalani Bendele is today's featured author on new books in African-American studies. The interview series where writers and authors of African-American life, arts, culture, and sciences discuss their new books. I'm your host, Vershawn Young, and we'll be discussing Makalani Bendele's new collection of poetry, Hell Fightin', published by Willow Books in 2012. Readers have noted that Hell Fightin' is filled with music. It draws on the African-American jazz aesthetic and the blues tradition. Makalani talks a lot about his cultural influences in the book and how he's come to write poetry. Let's listen in. Hello, Mock. Hi, how you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. Good, good. Widely anthologized in notable literary journals such as Southwestern, Mythium, The Tidal Basin Review, Hell Fighting, the book that we're discussing today by Makalani Bandele is his first full-length volume of poetry, and it's a wonderful one, too. Mock, for short, is an Afrolachian poet, which means he's dedicated to highlighting the Black influence and cultural history in the Appalachian region in his work. And you see that in his use of the regional vernacular and such terms as the Kentucky oyster, referring to chitlins. But what's really wonderful is how he employs what some have called the jazz aesthetic, applying the features of the African-American musical genre to language performance. In this vein, you'll find scatting in several of his poems, as in the poem in the key of democracy. This collection of poems is a delight to read, and I'm happy to have Mock on the show today to discuss it with us. Mock, will you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your name? Um, well, I am uh, uh, born in uh, Cincinnati, well, Hamilton County, Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati, uh, and after a year of moved uh, to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I, was an, I was an orphan and was adopted in Louisville, Kentucky. And from that point, I uh, basically born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I went to a local uh, prep high school here, St. Xavier, St. X. Well, there's a St. X in Cincinnati, two St. Xavier in Cincinnati, too. But I went to the one here in Louisville. Uh, my last year uh, in high school went to uh, Germany as an exchange student with the Congress Bundestag scholarship. So uh, that's uh, my first um, experience with international travel and living internationally. Uh, then I moved back here and went to university and went to the University of Notre Dame uh, undergrad. Uh, and that's where I first uh, got exposed to poetry. Uh, my first teacher, John Mathias, took a couple of classes with him and uh, John is known as uh, a, a scholar and just just completely um, uh, completely enclosed and under and understands British and American modernism and his 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 influence can seen can be seen greatly in my poetry if you if you look close enough I'm very image based. Uh, poetry. Uh, and then from there, uh, actually took a detour. I left poetry for about 11 years. Uh, was called into a, the ministry and was a, a pastor for 11 years. Um, so I had a very uh, long journey after I left pastoring, uh, after sabbatical, went back to writing and reading poetry. Didn't write much while I was preaching and pastoring. And that come back full circle. After the sabbatical, when I was writing, I decided, you know, maybe I want to leave uh, this this ministry thing for a while and, and and pick writing back up. And so that's what phase I am in now. I've been been back at writing full time for about four years. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I have to ask you this question because one sure. of my favorite writers, um, who is. Uh, James Baldwin was influenced heavily mm-hmm. by the church and uh, was a was a was a youth preacher. And he said that in that even though he left the the, the pulpit, that 
that church influence um, is ever present in his writing. And as a matter of fact, the writing itself is a way of preaching. Is there an influence in your writing? Completely. I don't. I, my experience in the church has had a, a tremendous impact um, on helping me to to understand um, the souls of black folk. <laughs> to coin a to, to coin the phrase from W. D. Du Bois's seminal text. Um, it's amazing how much at being an adult and really being able to savor the, the cultural art of black people. I think that in its folk, in its, what's left of black folk, um, what goes on in the church is not probably definitely on the sacred level, but also as the secular and the sacred bleed together in the African-American community. Um, the, the art of black people is so clearly seen in the church. I mean, the song, the, the vocal quality, the, the storytelling and the preaching and in the conversations on the church step um, uh, after service on Sunday or, or at a church picnic um, while next to the lemonade stand. That art of what black folk, their speech, um, uh, their music, the instrumentation in the, in, in the church, it's there. And for me, when I was a preacher, uh, some of it was just kind of um, uh, by way of osmosis. It was just going in and it comes out in the poetry. But some of it, I really looked at it and studied it closely. And in terms of trying to understand the storytelling art uh, as preachers, trying to understand the vocal art of delivering a sermon, um, looking at these as really cultural arts and as crafts that it takes time to, and, and, and mentorship, and, and it takes um, training to, to be able to, to do these things well. So yes, without a doubt, so much of my, of my poetry is informed by, um, by what I learned uh, in the church. And it's not just content, it's, it's style, it's, it's the approach to, you know, to the poetry and thinking of it as that I am an apprentice, that I am uh, at some point, maybe a journeyman, and I am at some point, you know, a little bit well, uh, more adapted or, or, or more capable uh, in the craft. Wow, nice. And you have a very interesting and uh, attractive name, Makalani Bendele. Does it mean anything? Yes. Uh, Makalani is uh, from the eastern uh, coast of Africa, uh, Tanzania. Kenya area, those coastal areas. Uh, the, a Mawira is the tribe, uh, and it means one who is gifted in writing. And then Bandele uh, or Bandele is a Yoruba term, which means born away from home. So, you know, I, as I said, I was orphaned. I was adopted when I was a year old, and so that sense of born away from home. But also, the double meaning of being African American. You know, where is our home in the sense that, you know, being born here, we're born away from home. So it was a name that um, when I was in uh, graduating college, I came home and, you know, talked, had been influenced with university uh, by Afrocentrism at the time and really studied a lot of African culture and African philosophy. Um, and came home and wanted to change my name. And my mother was like, oh, no, my name, this is, you got a good name. My name is Michael Pendon by birth. Uh, so that has its poetic uh, undertones, too, or overtones, too. Uh, but we, my, we sat down. She eventually conceded, and we sat down. And she helped me pick a name. So that's how it came about. <laughs> now let's launch into the discussion of uh, your wonderful poetry. You begin with a very... Um, a hybrid introduction, I call it, uh, Ars mm -hmm. Poetica Jazz, an introduction. And I remember in school reading a, a poem called Ars Poetica, I think, by Archibald MacLeish. Um, Incredible poem. <laughs> and so One of my favorite. it seems that you um, draw from a traditional poetic, um, poetic forms, as well as mm -hmm. mixing in the improvisatory nature of 
of jazz music and the blues. Can you tell mm -hmm. us about this introduction and what you're trying to do um, for the reader? Uh, you're, you're, you're spot on, uh, Bershawn. As a poet, I see myself in dialogue with the poets and poetry uh, that is going on right now and that has come come before me. Um, and I see myself a part of a, of a huge multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multicultural community. Um, you know, that poem that you uh, gave reference to, Archibald McLeish, is um, uh, Ars Poetica. In fact, you know, in writing an Ars Poetica jazz, I looked at, you know, lots of different um, poets, Ars Poetica. And Ars Poetica means um, the art of poetry. So it, 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 a poem can be Ars Poetica without being called Ars Poetica. It's basically when a poet talks about what, they, what they're trying to do or what a poem should try to do or what a poem is doing or how it should be read or, you know, the poem reading us. So any of these kind of notions or, or suggestions about craft or how to approach craft or how to approach a line or, or metaphor or whatever, uh, it's it, it ours poetic. So in this first poem, I'm setting out kind of what was the approach that I took in trying to, to write these poems. And I was trying to say I'm moving away from uh, a jazz poetry that um, I feel like um, is most associated uh, or poetry that's most associated with jazz. And that is just kind of a dropping name uh, I've had an experience, or I listened to this record, or I went to see this particular jazz artist, and this is what happened there, and this is how it made me feel, and, um, you know, this is what it sounds like, or, or whatever. And I tried to move away from that and try to say that I'm looking at some of the, the deep structures of jazz, how it works, and I'm trying to put that onto a page. So as a jazz artist with would improvise, I'm trying to, you know, in creating a line, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to kind of stay in the moment and and even though it's going to get edited around at the end, in the first writing of it, the thoughts move almost like the, the, the thoughts of of uh, Sonny Rollins, Rollins soloing, like the way his lines follow another, the logic behind that. That's the kind of logic I tried to put into create, uh, you know, into writing lines in a poem. Um, and then the the stories that are told, you know, particularly in the blues, it's clear. It's also in the music of jazz, but you know, it's notes, so it's hard to translate. But in blues, you see the the storytelling that is very disjunctured. That is, you know, at one point he's saying that hot foot powder has been sprinkled on the door. Then the next line is talking about, um, you know, uh, he's talking about laying in bed with the chills. And then the next line is talking about he's on the, he's on the steamship going down the river. And it's like, how does he jump in, in one section of the, the song, the first, you know, AB, AAB section, how does he jump from that where he's talking about hot foot powder and all of a sudden get to being on on a boat, but if you if you know the blues and, and you kind of understand the cultural context of it, you say, well, it's simple. I mean, he's running away from his baby. She put she she tried to to put a a, a, a hex on him, <laughs> so now he's out of town. Mm -hmm. So and the, that's what happens in the poems. I try to do kind of the same thing. I, I, I'm not worried about saying A B C, but in, in a narrative way that you understand things happen because of. Hey, you understand the story. I'm not. I don't mind. I don't care to jump and to take leaps and to leave parts of the story out. What I really appreciated also about this introduction is the way in which you uh, not only perform what's to come in the later poems, but also uh, uh, give us clues about the kind of structure that you use. I picked out some of the. Uh, formal terms that you use, the um, sasura, the quartet, the sestina. Um, and these are all uh, 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 poetic strategies and techniques that you use um, throughout your book. Is that is that true? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. I, you know, th that particular line that you that you reference. Um, if, if I can just read a couple of, of of lines before and kind of put it in the context, mm -hmm. a call to be the inversion of Ellington, distillation of the Hellfighters, down to quartet, no more than sustain. Charlie Ralph is an apostrophe on sax, cutting invisible cats so clean they're seen Lindy, Lindy hopping with a grin from ear to ear. So in, as an arts poetica poem, uh, I'm suggesting that in, that in those particular lines that that there was a certain my muse and 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 this call that call there's that there's that preacher there's that preacher in me that call to be the inversion of Ellington. So you have Ellington, who's this incredible composer. Uh, maybe some people have said the greatest American composer uh, of the 20th century, and and definitely the most prolific. Uh, and so he's writing these incredible jazz. Um, uh, Symphony and and the poem as an inversion of that it, it it brought back down to that the distillation of the Hellfighters and the Hellfighters band is what I'm referencing there uh, the Harlem Hellfighters band led by James Reese Europe uh, you know bring jazz to Europe in World War One they had never heard this this ragging um, this, the way that they syncopated the drums and the and the horns and they they played the Les Marseillaises. Uh, in France, the, the, the French anthem. They played it, and the French didn't even recognize it because they had, quote-unquote, jazzed it up so much. And when they began to recognize the Le Marseillais, French people, they said they did movements that they didn't know their bodies could do. It just, it just <laughs> ejaculated out of them because wow. they were so uh, brilliant and, and so excited to hear this sound and recognize it and be also new at the same time and danceable. And 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 and, and plotting, you know, rhythmic. Uh, so that the the poem breaks or distills down to that, um, and then no more than a quartet. Uh, I mean, a down to a quartet, no more than a sixteen. And at the same time, I'm also kind of talking about Thelonious Monk and mm -hmm. as him being an influence uh, in in kind of how I approach. Uh, much of the poem, thinking, trying to think like Monk, um, in terms of being, feeling free to, to be influenced by the classical music, feeling free to be influenced by church music, feeling free to be influenced by jazz, feeling free to be influenced by R&B. Uh, that's what I feel Monk was. He just brought it all to the piano and didn't feel like he had to, he didn't feel guilty about, you know, loving Rachmaninoff and, and, and knowing by by memory, whole uh, slabs of, of of a work of Rachmaninoff, and he wasn't afraid to bring that um, nuance to, to 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 the piano when he played jazz. And so I wanted to say the same thing in poetry. I'm not. I don't feel that I, I have to alienate all of these influences that I have. They can all come through. In fact, that's when the poem is the best. When it, when anything is allowed to come through and it comes through and I, you know, and it, it comes together as only it can in my voice because <laughs> I'm the experience, one that puts all those experience together. And not to linger too long on the on this opening poem, I, I want to get to some of the others, um, but you do end this 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 introductory poem with a strong um, vernacular invitation. You uh, tell the reader, come towards a poetic of putting pennies together and stepping out Saturday night, barrel house arrangement of troubles on page in ways that bespeaks buoyancy and points to brighter embouchure. Now, mm -hmm. I was struck by this li last line uh, or last phrase that points to brighter embouchure. Now, this, is this. Well, I know it's, it's probably double entendre uh, and probably multiple meanings here, but. But the the embouchure, of course, is referencing the um, the uh, facial structure, uh, right, of a of a trumpeter or or a, a horn mm -hmm. player, and mm -hmm. is and also maybe there's this invocation here that by reading this poetry and being engaged in it, 
that we would be able to speak uh, speak um, a new language or, or 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 be inspired to speak. That's what I got from it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's the the, the embouchure is how um, um, a musician that is a re, that plays a reed or plays a, a you know a reed instrument has to has to hold their their mouth or has to hold their lips. I mean. Embouchure is important, of course, for the clarinet. It, it may be in some ways most crucial maybe for the trumpet, or it's most known for the trumpet. Um, uh, so, but yeah, that, that's it. I mean, that, that of course, the point is always pointing towards, you know, the, the music or, or the, the voice. Uh, and, and so, yeah, of course, I'm pointing towards that. I'm saying that this poetic, is 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 maybe a brighter or newer version of how to hold one's mouth so that the the words come out artistic or they come out beautiful. Wow. Thank you for that. What's your favorite poem in, in the collection? Uh <laughs> that that's tough. That's tough. I feel like because they're there are some very formal poems. There are, well, not, they're formal, but they are definitely uh, variations on the theme. They don't necessarily follow the form exact, exactly precise. There are triolets. There are sonnets um, uh, in, in this. There are pantoons. So there's all these, there's lots of different forms uh, in the book. So. And, and then poems kind of take different approaches. There are, like I said, there are poems that are, that are blues. I mean, it's a strict blues. Uh, it, you know, there's the, there's, a, there's the AAB form in the poem. Um, then there are poems that are, like I said, where I try to think of how Sonny Rollins or how uh, Thelonious Monk or, or, or how Chick Corea is, is what the mind is doing, what the musical mind is doing as it's putting this note with this chord. Why did he move from 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 this tonality to a different? Why did the time, you know, why, how did he speed up? What made him do that? I tried to do, try to approach a poem in the same way. Okay, I can't change notes, but what can I change? Can I change? Can I, Change the tone of the poem. Can I, in the next line, can I so completely, you know, deviate from what the first line was about? You know, uh, in, in, this, in this line, can I move from this idea to the next by just taking one little word or one connotation that, or denotation that that word in the first line has and pick that up in the second line. It's not going to be something that people notice unless they're paying attention to the denotation of all the words in the first line where they see that's why you went to this next line. Otherwise, ostensibly, the two lines have no connection to each other. But they do. There is a logic. And that's what I was trying to work with, you know, sometimes. Like, that's what the, the jazz artist is doing, you know, instantaneously is he improvising that's how you get from the one line to the next so yeah so but I, to say that what poems are my favorite it it changes from day to day i mean it, there's different things that i that i like on a particular day and i approach that poem and say man i think i i captured that uh uh i captured that technique right i i that tool that i use uh that poetic tool that i use i really think I, I did it good or did a, a, an excellent job of that in this particular poem. So it's hard. It's very hard to pick a, best, a favorite one. One of the um, blurbists, Mitchell L.H. Douglas, um, mm -hmm. writes about uh, your use of um, government and improvisation um, when he says, when Bendele declares, I like my government like I like my improvisation, mellifluous, mm -hmm. um, we can't help but think government could easily be exchanged for poetry, turning the line into a take on the on Bendele's skill, secular, mm -hmm. sacred, and singing, singing loud. 
And he says that hell fight inspires. Now, that line that he um, references is taken from your poem, Jazz in the Key of Democracy and Three Movements um, for Cornell West. Mm -hmm. Now, what what is this poem? What's what's the poem about? Well, the poem is about um, in in writing the book, I. I had to do an incredible, I did a credi- an incredible amount of research on jazz. So I read a lot of criticism, um, read a, a, a lot of criticism of, you know, uh, of jazz albums that came out, um, uh, contemporary on back. Um, I read a lot of uh, intro to jazz books. I read books with um, essays by, um, uh, literary critics on jazz, uh, read books uh, of anthologies of jazz poetry, uh, jazz uh, short stories. Uh, so I, I tried to look at how jazz has been uh, approached as a subject um, in literature, uh, how jazz has been uh, criticized or, or evaluated in literature. And I looked at, you know, writers who tried to write in a quote-unquote jazz aesthetic. Um, none of the ones that I, I, I continued to come back to was Ralph Ellison. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an incredible uh, literary uh, critic and scholar. And, and knows jazz probably just as good as anybody that, that I read. Uh, and one of the things that, um, and he influenced, and, you know, he influences uh, Stanley uh, Crouch, uh, and then Stanley Crouch influences Winton Marsalis, and mm-hmm. Winton Marsalis is the he he right now is the mouthpiece for jazz. He's not just in terms of his music, but in terms of uh, his philosophy. He he is the intellectual that we turn to when we when we want to talk about jazz as an art form. Um, so uh, anyway, there's this notion that that that. Uh, I think that Ellison implies and that it, 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 gets, it grows through Crouch and through Wynton Marcellus that jazz is democratic, that if you want to look at something that's uniquely American, and that's what, you know, that, that's another thing that Ellison and, and his acolytes espouse is this fact that jazz is the only truly American art form, or one of the only truly American art forms. It has its birth here in America and gone worldwide and influenced worldwide. Let me um, ask you this question. Let, let me interject a, a second and ask you, why for Cornell West, though? Oh, because, because Cornell West, he, 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 has, he has an interview where he talks about jazz as a democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this whole notion of jazz being a democracy, that the players get together and they have to work out you know, musically what they're going to do, who comes in when, how long they come in. Um, and they, it's a conversation. The, the, the saxophone and the solo, he needs the bass, you know, to be where it's supposed to be in each measure for him to be able to solo and to expand and to go out into space and then come back and know that there's some place to come back to. If the bass, you know, gets lost in the, in the saxophone solo and he gets out of measure and, 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 and out of time, then... When the saxophone comes back, it's gonna sound like it's gonna sound like you know people banging pans together and and people whistling, you know, with no concern for each other. Mm-hmm. It will it will be haphazard. So there's this communication that goes on. So Cornell West talks about it in a, in specifically in an interview. But I, you know, Stanley Crouch speaks of jazz being democratic. Marcel spoke of jazz being democratic. And I first saw. Ralph Ellison, the first person to kind of mention this sense that jazz is democratic. So I, I left it to Cornell West because uh, I, I wanted to, in some sense, give reference to an actual article that he has called Jazz as a Democracy. It's something to that effect. No one else gets it that clearly. You know, you, you, you hear Crouch mention it in an essay, but his whole essay isn't Jazz is a Democracy. Well, at, whereas Cornell West has this interview. With the whole thing he's talking, he's expanding on that notion. And you end this poem uh, with a scat. Could you uh, render that for us? Okay. 
I didn't want all the folks to have that by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted to kind of give people the ability to read over this if they, such that it wasn't that integral. But you picked the poem that it is integral to. You can't you can't skip it in this poem. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's embedded in the poem. But I, I had hoped that it was so obvious, especially if you're somewhat familiar with Coltrane, that you would get the sound. So you want me to read a little bit of Out of the Mouthpiece? If you would. Okay. So Out of the Mouthpiece of an Involving Consciousness. Off the beaten path, a flat minor, met on track, black was always on his way out of the Earth's gravitational train. Murdered the popular song. <laughs> to death, changing key ten times and only sixteen bars. Notes fluttering like unbroken wings of wounded bird. Take sound for a cab ride through lower Manhattan during rush hour. In and out. Take it further up. Over. Take it down, under, through, home with him, apart in our very ears, trying to get something off, trying to get something up. Wow, very nice. Now, I have to ask you this question. As a poet and as a poet who performs, uh, what's your recommendation for um, for um, consumers, the public, in buying, reading, and going to listen to poetry? Well, so often I hear um, poets bemoaning how terrible, how boring, you know, how almost unbearable poetry readings are. And I can't say I quite agree, especially as I've grown as a poet and my understanding. But at some level, poetry readings are very much um, insulated. They're very much insulated, and there's the kind of in the know group of people. And if you're not in the know, then you're kind of you're not going to kind of get what's going on. Um, and I hate that about poetry. And I don't. You know, I, I want to stay in the conversation with poets. I want to be, you know, I want to be in dialogue with, with Wallace Stevens. I, I want to continue this conversation um, um, with, with, with Ed Roberson, who's a living poet. I want to continue, you know, the conversations that, that I've been having um, with, with Theodore Rexy. I want to have, continue to have these conversations with these poets, but I don't want to insulate myself so much that when I read in public, people don't get something out of it. Um, so to, to the reading public, you know, my only thing is, is that it has to listen, close, listen closely to the words. And, 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 and a lot of the contemporary, very contemporary poetry, um, not, a, not a lot of sense per se is trying to be made. What they're trying to do is they're, try, they're, they're going after a tone. A lot of poets are going after a particular tone. They want you to feel a certain, uh, feel something more so than actually maybe being able to put, uh, you know, some kind of syllogistic logic together to understand the poem. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people are just lost. They don't understand why the poet was talking about, you know, a dead bird on the sidewalk, and then the next thing the poet is talking about eating uh, a bowl of cold spaghetti. You know, what's, why this jump? But you had to kind of listen to every word and kind of follow the, the flow that the poet is going in to get that, that subtle play or that subtle um, uh, tampering that that poet is trying to do with your emotions. Mm -hmm. Now, you're an Afro-Latin poet, can you mm -hmm. talk to us about what that means exactly and how that uh, comes through in this book? Um, 
Well, an Appalachian poet, uh, it's a group, it's, I'm a member of a, of a, it's a, a group of poets, uh, and Appalachia is a region that I think people forget runs from um, northern New Hampshire all the way down to uh, northern Alabama. So as Appalachia, the region of Appalachia runs that long course, any person of color uh, living in that region, we would, as Appalachian poets, we would say they're Appalachian. And then we also include what would be metropolis or urban areas that people from Appalachia migrate to. So if people in Appalachia would migrate to Charlotte, North Carolina, they would uh, immigrate to Raleigh. People in like in around the Tennessee area, Nashville, Knoxville, um, Louisville, which is where I'm from. These are metropolitan areas, urban areas where you know the economy in Appalachia is so is so uh, immature. It's, it's been uh, just relied on coal and that. There's not a lot of opportunity for people. People leave that area and they go into these urban areas and the strong Appalachian culture ends up influencing these areas. So uh, I see myself as an Appalachian in that um, I am an African-American that lives in a community and was born and raised and got my entire uh, you know, foundation in a city that has been heavily influenced by African-Americans who come out of the Appalachian region and have brought that that culture with them. And my my father is from Danville and my mother of uh, Kentucky and my mother is from Springfield, Kentucky. So they're they're country folk um, from uh, southeastern uh, kind of uh, Kentucky, uh, just on kind of the foothills. Uh, they're people that have people that come out of the mountains of Kentucky. So that anything that comes out of my poetry to some extent is an example of my Appalachian influence. I mean, when you would think that people like uh, Nina Simone mm -hmm. is technically Appalachian by that definition, uh, when you would consider that August Wilson is Appalachian. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, uh, I see myself as Appalachian, not necessarily because I'm I'm always talking about the mountains, or that I'm oh I'm talking about uh, moonshine. These are things that are you know are are stereotypes you need to get away from anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but I see myself as Appalachian because I understand the the full the full cultural contribution of that area mm -hmm. to the whole eastern seaboard. And how does that come through? Here, is there any particular poems that um, that really show more than than another or than others this um, this Afro-Latin identity? Um, I, I, the, the first poem, as you pointed out, it has some it has some some clear references. The uh, uh, the thirty-two bar jar of the jamminous blackberry boogie that you could cook up so folks would want to come inside. This, the whole notion of, of canning, that, that's just country people in general, but mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's still because of the, the economics in Appalachia and because of its isolation, it is a few years back, um, it's something that still is, is not something that city folk, as city folks do now to kind of like reach back to the rustic. It's Still, something that is done, mm -hmm. um, and then it's the Kentucky oyster simmering. Lord have mercy, Mama, thinking up the whole damn house. That's that southern. Um, but when you talk about the southeast, you can't talk about the southeast without talking about Appalachia and the influence of that region and culture on on the black people on black people. Now, in a moment, I'm going to um, allow you to um, end our. 
uh, interview with uh, a reading of of some of your poems or a poem, whichever you choose. But I have a couple more questions I want to ask you first. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is about the um, structure of the book. Now, your this interview will be cross posted on new books in poetry. Mm -hmm. But it as 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 this interview um, is mainly on new books in African-American studies and some, some mm -hmm. of the listeners may not be as familiar with some of the terminology uh, and some of the features. I, I want to ask you about the pronunciation of some of the um, terms that you use. And I want to point out before I do that, that in the back of the book, there's a wonderful glossary <laughs> that mm -hmm. you have created um, that gives insight into some of the terms uh, that you use in the poems and some of the uh, musical references that you make. And I think that it really makes a difference for a novice poetry reader or even someone who's not really familiar with some of the formal features of poetry to take a look at that glossary, perhaps first, and um, uh, to read the poems. But you intersperse um, these poems with shorter poems, and I know that I'm going to mispronounce this term. Um, I'm not even going to try it. Hey, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> one more time. Pronounce it one more time. A catch a tour. A, a catch a tour. A catch -a -tour. Okay. I may be mispronouncing too. It's, it's Italian. It's a. It's an music. For the most part, most musical terms. Uh, have uh, have their root in Italian. Okay. So it's an Italian term, and 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 it's a it's called, it's, it means a grace note. So it's a note that how that allows you the little soft, not necessarily soft, but a little a simple little note that will get you from one one note to another. Sometimes to some you know to some extent almost like modulating. If, if, if it's in a higher key, but not not so much. This is really something used primarily in improvisation to kind of get you from one note to another. And that in the in the book, the attachatura, these grace notes, the and they their the grace notes are never they're not on the the um the music sheet. They're not on the sheet music. Mm -hmm. It doesn't show up. But it's there. Everyone, everyone knows that it's there in in, in the song um, or in the composition. Everyone knows it's there, but it's not on the sheet. It's just to get you from one note to the next. And that in the book, they're not. They don't have a page number. The attachatura. They're just they're little uh, haiku or what I would call jazz coups. Um, they capture. Uh, either sonically an image or visually an image of a moment uh, in jazz. Very nice. Whether it be at a club or whether it be on a particular album. Now, uh, tell us what you're working on now. Uh, I am, before I started this, the, the, this, this, the, the book Hellfighting, um, it started out as a chapter, about half of these poems. And, uh, and I was, they, they just coalesced over the years, uh, kind of over the, over a period of about a couple of years, they coalesced all these jazz poems. And I didn't really have any idea of doing anything with them, but I submitted them as a chapbook. And then the, 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 the publisher said, well, we would prefer actually to just do it as a full length, if you can do a whole project. And the chapbook is cool, but we'd like to see a, a larger, uh, volume, more poems. So I went back and did that. Before I was doing that, I, I was on a, a, a working on a project um, where I was listening to the recordings of Alan Lomax. Uh, Alan Lomax is one of the probably the most important um, uh, audio, uh, audio recorder. He, he went back into the South and really all over the world, trying to almost save folk music. He saw what the radio and popular culture, this, this coalescing of popular culture was doing to the folk art. So he tried to go out and try to save the folk arts and folk music. And so a, a lot of the, the early recordings that we have of um, 
of, uh, of field hollers, um, a lot of work songs. He him and his father, John Lomax, they recorded them. So I was listening to these recordings and, you know, reading the, the biographies of Lomax, both Lomaxes, and reading interviews with them and trying to write poems in that that would that reflect or somehow meditate on on the music, uh, the culture that they had captured in these, these recordings and, and in the books that they're writing and in their travels trying to get these recordings. So I'm going to go back to that. But at the same time, um, I'm being drawn to some subjects around my uh, around uh, Kentucky, and so I'm kind of working on two projects at the same time, I'm trying to come up with some with some very um, regional Kentucky Louisville poems um, out of my experience growing up here and out of the contemporary scene that I see here. And then I'm also uh, trying to come back to this work that I was doing before, Hell Fighting. And I'm really uh, such a different poet that I'm, I'm having to kind of rethink these poems and try to understand how I'm going to come at the project. Because I don't want to definitely come the way I had I, I was before I started health fighting. Health fighting has changed me too much to come come back the same. And can you uh, take us out with the reading? Okay. Um, I think what I'll do is just take us out with the last poem in the book. Um, it's called Coda. Inhale tomorrows, all the dreams they contain, and fair views of end. The changes blow everybody away, a list, Hucklebuck, to which Parker replied, which is to say, leap, a half step up, an octave, every line, a poem, every poem, a journey, a juke, now's the time to change addresses, I told the family, let me have a minute alone with Mac. Close the door behind you, lips taste of ear, even as if asleep. I know music moves the dreamer, built the anchor, ship is sinking, passengers and crew are safe in life, boats. Save your fair captain, the sea is soft and blue. As absolution, lush as coda, then the slow white drift, but the body remains heavy with itself as a bough with leaves and white blossoms. A few petals collect quietly on the ground beneath trees lost, lush as life. Makalani Bendele is the author of Hail Fightin', published by Willow Books this year in 2011. Thank you, Mock, for talking with us on New Books in African American Studies. Thank you so much, Dr. Young. Thank you. We've been discussing Makalani Bendele's debut collection of poetry, Hail Fightin', published by Willow Books in 2012. As you can see from our lively exchange, Makalani is not only a poet, he's a cultural archivist, a musical historian, and an astute cultural critic. If you haven't already picked up your copy of Hell Fighting, go out and do it today. Share this interview and Makalani's book with all your friends.